I've been asked to speak uh, this morning as part of your series of Every Giant Must Fall. I've been asked to speak on the, the authority of the believer. And uh, I thought I'd start by just telling you a fact, because it may not be evident to you just looking at me. And the fact is, I come from good stock. Thank you, thank you. I, I did think I'd have to tell you because it may not be entirely, but I come from good stock. I've, I am of a good family line. Let me explain uh, what I mean by that. So my mother was the, the Sunday school superintendent of the church that I was raised in, that I was brought up in. So I sat literally at the feet of my mother as she unpacked the Bible stories to me and we would read the Bible uh, every morning before I went to school. She would read segments of the Bible out over me and, and that kind of all went into making me who I am and how I am and who I am becoming. And then my, my dad, uh, he was the church organist. Um, and so in those days, when I was a wee lad, uh, it was a proper pipe organ, and it wasn't even electric, and my job was to pump the wretched thing so that he could play the organ. So he was the church organist, and as well as being the church organist, he was also the church treasurer. So I come from good stock. And um, my, my mother's father, my grandfather, was actually... Um, a minister. He, he founded, he planted the church that I was raised in. I won't tell you uh, necessarily what denomination it was, but they were very methodical. Um, and um, he, was, he was a Methodist minister. But I'm from up north. I was originally born in Lancashire. And uh, the Methodist church of which I was a part was called an independent Methodist church. Now, one of the distinctives of independent Methodism is that they don't have uh, paid church leaders. It's like one of their principles. Uh, not one I really go along with, but it's what, in those days it was one of their uh, principles. So my granddad planted the church and led the church, but he kind of did it all in his spare time. And as a result of that, he had a series uh, of other jobs. So at one time he was a commissioner in a full uniform, uh, on the door at John Lewis store in Manchester. Uh, on another occasion, he was uh, a co- For plagued with sound at the moment. Okay. Oh, that's 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 Matt, not me. I can assure you. Okay. He was also he was a coal man, a coal merchant. Had his own business. Had his own horses, horse-drawn carriage with the coal piled on the back of it. He was uh, a conductor on horse-drawn trams. Uh, So he's going back quite a long way. And in the Second World War, uh, he was a special reserve. Constable, and I still have his whistle. The, wi- the police whistle is a special. I don't know if you ever heard police whistle. They probably use them anymore now. Do it's all radios and stuff. But in those days, it was like a two-tone whistle, and I've still got uh, his whistle. And he used to tell stories, uh, sometimes remarkable stories about trams, horse-drawn trams that were kind of careering down hills on a collision course with another vehicle coming the other way, and he would have to step out in the middle of the road in his police constable's uniform and blow his whistle and pull up his hand like this and say, stop in the name of the law. And these vehicles would stop. They would sort of screech to a halt. The horses would neigh. The, the things would slew. And, and, and they would stop because my granddad was standing in the middle of the road, blowing a whistle and saying, stop 
in the name of the Lord. This clearly made a big impact uh, on his memory. He used to tell me these stories when I was a little lad uh, sitting by his knee visiting them uh, on a Sunday after, after church. He was really clear about how that worked. You see, I've still got his whistle. And I've blown that whistle. And I can assure you, it carries no power or authority in and of itself. Right? No matter how hard you blow it, or what the circumstances, the kids are rowing. <laughs> Stop. It doesn't work. It doesn't carry authority in and of itself. I've tried that one with my hand. To, you know, look at the hand, not the fa- look at the hand. I've tried that one when something's going wrong in the home. The TV is broken again. Come on, TV, you know. It doesn't work in and of itself. My granddad was really clear what was going on there. The reason why things would listen, things would come into place, things would straighten up, things would stop, was because of the uniform that he was wearing. It was because of the authority that he represented. You see, he had behind him the full shadow of the weight of the law. Now, I want to ask you this morning, church, what uniform are you wearing? Whose clothes are you dressed in this morning? Are you dressed in your own clothes, in shabby clothes of what the Bible calls unrighteousness? Or are you now dressed in the righteous robes of Christ? What's the shadow that lurks behind you? Is it the shadow of your own past, of your own fears, of your own failures, of your own sins? Is it the shadow of your history? Is that what's standing behind you? Or are you standing under the shadow of the wings of the Almighty God? In whose authority this morning might you put your hand up and say, Stop. Enough. Or, okay, come on now. What is your authority? What are you dressed in? Who do you represent? I come of good stock, but it's not the Sunday school superintendent or the church organist or the church treasurer or even the church planter. I come of good stock because I stand in the shadow of the wings of Almighty God. And if I put my hand up and say, stop, it will stop. This, this sciatica, which is an absolute, if you'll forgive the expression, but it's very literal, pain in the bum. This sciatica, it will stop. I have been speaking to it now for a week and commanding it to obey and do as it's told. And it will happen. It will go. It will back off. Why is that then? Because it has to. Not because I shout loud. Not because I struggle and strive and grit my teeth. Not because I see the GP, which I've had to, and take painkillers, because every good gift comes from God. Why will it back off? Because we are given authority in the name of Christ. Believers have authority. Whose shadow are you standing in? What stock do you come from? What clothes, what uniform are you wearing? In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 10, 
and verse 1. The disciples by this time, it's about, that's roughly speaking about the middle of Matthew's Gospel. And by this time, the disciples have been with Jesus, and they've spent time with Jesus, and they've watched Jesus, and he's taught them a little bit of stuff. That's Matthew 5, 6, and 7, loads of teaching in there from Jesus. And then he says, okay, boys, what we're going to do now is uh, we're going we're gonna to go out because the harvest is ready, but the workers are few. Pray to God that God will send up workers out into the harvest. End of, of, of Matthew chapter 9. Off they go, and they have this lovely little prayer meeting, and they come back, and they say, we prayed, just like you said, Jesus, we prayed and Jesus says it's fantastic news God's heard your prayer and the answer to your prayer is you off you go and in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 1 Jesus commissions his disciples and he sends them out and what does it say in Matthew 10 verse 1 and he gave them authority over demons and to heal the sick Jesus gives authority that's where your authority comes from it comes from Christ it's the gift of Christ. And then if we, if we read on, that's, that's Jesus imparting authority. I don't know about you, I've, I've wondered, my, my, my head does this. You take the familiar verses of Scripture and then you unpick them and you unpack them and you try to place yourself in them. And explore. What does that mean? What does that look like? What did Jesus do to give them authority? What did that look like? What did, he, did he lay hands on them? Did he pray for them? Did he boot them out and say, right, off you go, boys? What did that look like? I don't know what it looked like except that something... Everything changed for them. Because suddenly they received something from Christ. They became aware of who they were in him. And off they went in his authority. Church, what, what would this area, what would this community be like? What would this, let's start here. What would this church be like if we realised who we are in Christ? And the authority that he has given us. And we moved in that. Once we get to the end of Matthew's Gospel, Matthew 28, it kind of gets reiterated. So we have the impartation and the commission in Matthew 10. And then right at the end in Matthew 28, we have Jesus delegating this to the disciples again. So most of you will know the end of Matthew 28, the Great Commission. And Jesus says, right, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, you go. Off you go. Go do it. You've got the battle. Now run with it. Run with it. But go in my authority. And there's two things I think that I, I, I see really clearly from that. Number one, from those two occasions that deal with Jesus giving authority to the disciples. Number one, authority is given. It's not taken. You don't, you don't take authority from God or from any, anybody else. It is given to you as a gift. I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about how it's given in just a few minutes' time. But it is given to you. It is there for us to gladly and gratefully receive. You don't grasp it. You don't seek after it. You receive it. As a gift, it's given to you. And the other thing that I learned there uh, from what Jesus gives the authority for is authority is given over principalities and powers, not over people. We're not here to, to exert authority as church over people in the church or authority as church over people in the community. We are here to love them and to serve them. We are here to bless them and to see them in a relationship with Jesus. But we are here to take authority given to us by Jesus over principalities and powers. What does it say in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 1 and 2? We do not wrestle with flesh and blood. The enemy is not a trapped sciatic nerve. 
We do not wrestle with flesh and blood, but rather with principalities and powers, the dark forces of this age that lie behind these things. So we pray God give us wisdom and discernment to see where the real battle is so that we may wield the authority of Christ against the real enemy. Hello? Church, that authority is yours. It is yours. He has dressed you now. In robes of righteousness, you stand under the shadow of his wing. You come now from a different line, a different bloodline. You are of good stock. I, I, I love the fact that this is wrapped up for me. And there's a phrase, I love the Apostle Paul, I love his writings. I think he was probably a bit of an odd character. I think he was probably almost certainly difficult to work with if you count the number of names that are mentioned in the New Testament. We're, we're somewhere, it depends how you count them, somewhere between 20 and 40 different people on his team. You've got to ask yourself the question why he had such a turnover on the team. I think he's an interesting person to work with. But what a great character, what a great communicator. The Apostle Paul, more than 200 times in the New Testament uses a very telling little phrase and the phrase is in Christ in Christ in Christ in the book of Colossians which is actually my favorite book in the whole uh, Bible the one that God first saturated me in when I first got filled with the Holy Spirit when I was at university all those years ago in the book of Colossians that little phrase in Christ is used 19 times in a very short book I love the fact that at the beginning of the book in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 27 it says this Christ in you the hope of glory Can we say that together? Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's where your hope lies. We sang about it earlier. The fact that Christ now is in you, that he dwells richly in you by his peace and by his love in your heart. He dwells by his spirit in your very being. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And then as you you go towards the end of Colossians, in Colossians chapter 3, the whole thing gets reversed. In verse 3, instead of talking about Christ in you, it says, and your life now is hidden in Christ. So it's Christ in you, and you in Christ. Can you get the picture, church? You see the picture? In other words, when when the Father looks now, can can you see it this way? Can you see yourself here? When the Father looks at the face of Jesus, do you know whose face he sees reflected there as well? He sees your face. When he looks at his son, he sees you. And when he looks at you, difficult for some of us though this is to get, because we know where we've come from and we know what we're like in our darkest, most despondent moments. And yet here is the truth. That when the father looks at you, he sees his son. Because we are now inextricably intermingled. Easy for you to say. In fact, let's say that together, can we? Inextricably intermingled. And again, inextricably intermingled. Oh, church, if we would, if we could, but believe that. That when the Father looks at the Son, he sees you. When the Father looks at you, he sees the Son. Because we are now inextricably intermingled. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And your life is hidden now in Christ. That's where your authority comes from. It's because of who you are in Christ and Christ 
in you. Well, what, what is this? What is this authority? I, knowing it was my topic and, and I've, in other, other situations, other, other headings, I've looked at this as well before. Uh, I, I did a little word search uh, around this word authority, the, the believer's authority. The word that's used most predominantly in the New Testament that gets translated authority is from the Greek word exousias or exousia. And that, that word is used 103 times in the New Testament. And for around about 70% of the times that it's used, it gets translated as power or authority, power. Or authority, and and the, and the 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 connotation is physical power, mental power, relational power, the power to set free. It's to do with liberty, the power to rule and to reign. It's to do with taking dominion, and also, listen to me, the power to bring change, the power. To change things, starting here and then working through here. What did I say earlier about the, the wild journey that is DNA? It's about p- women and men of God becoming more whole so that as they become more whole, they become more fruitful. The power to change here so that from here, things get changed out there. It's power, it's authority, it's rule, it's reign, it's liberty to bring change. If you've got your Bibles with you, I want, to, I want to focus for the rest of my time on a particular passage which actually describes this, this authority, which describes this power uh, which was given to Christ. But it, only, it doesn't only describe it, but it tells us why it landed on Jesus and how, therefore, it might land on us. So if you've got your Bibles, you might want to turn to uh, the book of Philippians. Great, fantastic book. I lo- love this book. Again, fairly short book, uh, written uh, by the Apostle Paul around the same time that he's writing the, the book to the church at Colossae. Um, so around about 60, 62 AD, something like that. And we're going to read uh, from chapter 2 of the book of uh, Philippians. This is a, a church that Paul planted. Uh, it's uh, planted in an area where Roman soldiers, people who understood about authority, people who understood about rule and dominion, High-ranking Roman soldiers, when they were retired out of the Roman army, would often be gifted um, a ground, land, of maybe a vineyard and a villa, and they would go and retire to Philippi. It was a little bit like Bogner, I suppose. It was that sort of that kind of idea. So off they go to Philippi and, and, and enjoy the fruits of their of their labour under authority. And so I want to read from uh, verse five of chapter two of Philippians. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, now, here's our description of the rule, the power, the authority 
which is given to Christ. We've already sung about it this morning. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every knee shall bow. Every giant must fall. Every sciatic nerve must be released. Every financial difficulty can be resolved. Every sin can be forgiven. Every sickness can be healed in the name of Jesus Christ. That's exousias. That's authority. That's power. It's his. It's not yours. But he gifts it to you and he sends you out in it so that we can receive it, live in the good of it, and liberally give it away. That's the nature of this power and authority. So the question, I guess, is this. The question for me this morning, as I limp up and down the stage, struggling with sciatica, the question for you as you struggle with past sins or past hurts or past fears, as you can't sleep at night because of the things that come back to haunt you, the shadows that you're living under that are not the shadows of the, of the almighty wings of God, the, the, the hurts and the pains and the pressures, the lack of authority in your own life, the lack of authority in your own family with children or siblings who are no longer following God, all of these areas that impact us, let's be real. The question is, how do we get this authority? How does that description of authority that describes Jesus in verse 9 through to verse 11, how does it land on us? What would it look like for Jesus? I'm going to give opportunity in just a few minutes' time for people to receive prayer, to come forward and humble themselves and receive prayer. What will that look like? How do we receive authority? And he gave them authority, Matthew 10. Well, I think the secret is in the first part of Philippians 2 that we read there. You see, the authority is described in 9 to 11, but the secret you find in verse 5 to verse 8. How do we get this kind of authority. Your, your, my, your, our attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus. The word for attitude there is the word phroneo, uh, which literally means think, feel, do. So Pete is to think the same way that Jesus thinks. Pete is to feel the same way that Jesus feels about injustice about mercy, about kindness, about goodness, about forgiveness, about grace. Peter is to think the same, he's to feel the same. And then he's to get off his bum and do the same. To think, feel, do the same as Jesus. That's what our attitude should be. And what, look, just look, have a look, like keep your Bibles open. Just let your eyes rove over those rich verses from 6, 7 and 8. What is the attitude of Christ? Well, first of all, straight away we've got something there about he, he's not, he's not self-seeking. He's not grasping after position or kudos. He's not looking for power that he might wield it. In fact, he says some very uncomfortable things about the, the Pharisees because that's the way that they operate. No, no, no. What does he do? He 
empties himself. He pours himself out. The Greek word is kenosis. He empties himself. He pours himself out. He becomes as nothing. It's like a love offering. He gives himself away. He doesn't count equality with God something to be grasped. He kenosis, pours himself out, makes himself nothing, and does what? Takes the very nature of a servant. Oh, church, this is a this is an odd way to look at authority, isn't it? But authority comes from serving. Church, hear me. If you would have authority, serve. Serve. Serve the body. Serve your neighbours. Serve your community. That's what Jesus said. Serve. So Jesus pours himself out and becomes a servant. And what else do we hear? Uh, He humbles himself there in verse uh, 8. So he pours himself out. He serves. He he embraces humility. This is countercultural, church. But I needed to put this in here in any talk on the authority of the believer in Christ. Because it's not just about wielding authority. It's about serving. It's about pouring ourselves out. It's about humbling ourselves. If you would have authority, serve. If you would have authority, humble yourself. Pour yourself out. He becomes, what's the next key word there? He becomes obedient. He obeys. He only does what the Father tells him. He only goes where the Father shows him. He only receives those that the Father gives to him. That's why he sees the results that he sees, and we sometimes see the results that we see. He is obedient. If you would have... This is lovely, isn't it? I'm sure you know this, but let's just make it clear. If, as a believer, you would move in more authority, then you must be under authority. You must, because that's the only way of staying safe. It's the only way of staying humble. It's the only way of keeping engaged in serving. Is You must be under authority. The, the little story, isn't there, which you can read in two of the Gospels, in Matthew chapter 8 and in Luke chapter 7, uh, where the centurion comes to Jesus and he's asking for Jesus' help. He's a Roman soldier, for goodness sake. He's a high-ranking Roman soldier. He shouldn't really even be talking to this r- radical, unofficial Jewish rabbi. He certainly shouldn't have him under his own roof. So he comes to Jesus and he says, look, I've got someone sick back at home and, and you've only got to speak the word because I can see that you, like me, and you'd expect him to say I'm a man of authority, but he doesn't say that. He says, I can see, looking at you, that you, like me, are a man under authority. You know whose shadow you stand in. Not because Jesus the Son is in any way subservient to the Father, but because Jesus the Son is in an eternal, coexisting, honouring relationship with his dad. If you would have authority, you must be under authority. And then where does that... Oh, this, is, this is not the greatest rah-rah message, is it, for authority? Huh? If you were to have authority, the believer's authority, where does this little description of Jesus end before we get this wonderful description of the fact that at his name every knee must bow? Well, this kind of serving, this kind of pouring himself out, this kind of humility, this kind of obedience leads to death, even death. On a cross. Church, you have authority. But if you would exercise authority in the name of Christ, we must die to ourselves. 
We must die to ourselves. We must get up and serve and pour ourselves out and love the lost and be humble about it. And yet at the same time, recognize you're in the uniform. It's not the whistle. It's the fact that behind you is all the authority of heaven. When you say stop, it must stop. When you say yield, it must yield. When you say, come on, it must come on. When you say, come into place, it must come into place. Can you hear me, church? So what are the giants in your life where you need to take authority? What are the knees that need to bend in your life? What about that situation in the workplace where you find yourself, and this is, I'm either making this up or God spoke to me about this earlier. You find yourself constantly stuck between warring factions in the workplace and it feels like you're, you, you're meant to be a peacemaker but it isn't working out and there's gossip and there's, there's back talk and, and, it, uh, and it's a poisonous atmosphere in the workplace and it, it's causing you to despair but that can stop as you take authority as you give yourself away as you bring the love and the peace of Christ into that situation what about, uh, well let's, let's speak to pain in the room that's present for me. I don't think it's because there's somebody else in the room who's got pain in their right buttock, but if there is, we'll happily, happily pray for you. But what about pain in the room? What about, re- what about repeated uh, kidney infections in the room? What about psoriasis in the room? What about a heart murmur in the room? What about uh, damaged lungs in the room caused by a, a past affliction, like pneumonia, where you're hospitalised? These things must bend the knee to Jesus. What about debt? What about having authority over your finances? I was interested that you're going to be taking a series on this uh, coming up. Engage with the series. Read the book. Embrace the teaching. But also take authority in Jesus' name. My wife and I, when we were first married, it didn't matter how much God gifted us. We've always lived by uh, by God's faithfulness and by by his his generosity. didn't matter how much he gave us. Whatever he gave us all bled out at the other end with endless things breaking in the house or cars literally blowing up or or new things would be given. uh, uh, We were married, recently married. Things in the house breaking every time I went away on ministry until a guy in our church came around and said, God has spoken to me. There is a a spirit of poverty over your family and we need to pray and take authority over that spirit of authority we do not wrestle with flesh and blood or cars or televisions or and he came and he stood with us and he prayed in and around our home and we have never been in debt since we were married in 1987 we have never been in debt since what about authority in your finances authority in your relationships Where is it that you need to say, stop, enough. For I am clothed now in the robes of righteousness. I'm wearing the uniform. I've received the gift of authority. I take authority against principalities and powers, the knees that need to bend, the giants that need to fall in my life. What are they for you? Let me finish with this. Take a little thought. All authority flows from intimacy. The closer you are to the source of the power and authority, the more you know who you are and the more authority you carry. 
So this is not about getting power. This is not about living a pain-free, trouble-free life. For we live in a fallen world and we are fallen people and we are surrounded by fallen people and there is an enemy. It's not about that. No, 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 no. This is about proximity. This is about intimacy. Intimacy with the Father. Intimacy with the Son. Intimacy with the Holy Spirit. For when you are close and you know who you are, then you carry the believer's authority. 